Hey there, friends and foes. Welcome to Back of the Cereal Box. I am the prophet of pop culture, John Pica. You can call me Johnny. And normally, this would be an episode of New Comics. Yum! And I might talk about some new comics tonight. Uh, I got a stack, a stack including Betty Page, Queen of the Nile, with uh, that label on it. Not for sale to minors. And um, I'm not sure why yet, but it's wrapped in plastic and taped up. I can only guess it's Betty Page. And um, got a big stuff. I mean, I got a ton of stuff. And we might talk about that later on. If not, I will leave it for Morning Mini Bites because we've got some very special guests joining us to talk about this Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Still not working. And we're very excited about that. Um, we've got a very special guest joining us. Lucas Leverett, the Facebook fugitive. And Kelly Gettner from Phoenix Sisters Cosplay. And also the host of Drunk Comics on her own channel. And Back Issue Breakfast Club on this channel and Kelly this morning I was having a conversation with Ryan Permisson and he was like I don't know what to read I'm I, I'm new into comics and I want to know what to get and I said you just gotta tune in every Tuesday and watch Kelly because she'll she'll tell you what to read that's my goal <laughs> is I try to like I try to give something for people who've been reading for a while, but I try to take you by the hand and say, "Hey, if you like these characters in other media, there's something you can read." Speaking of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I did review. Marvel had a series called Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I think was a nice tie-in, and I did review that a few episodes back. So go looking for that review. Yeah, so uh, that's awesome. And also, Lucas, we need to plug your uh, weekly show, the um, Brewing Controversy Show. Yeah. Uh, without using any of the colorful <laughs> language you use on the show, describe, describe that show. You're looking for, for the audience. exact opposite content rating as most of your uh, programming, then, yeah, we're the place <laughs> to be. So I, I've uh, – I mean – there's so much history. We've all been doing this for a long time. And one of the places, the project that I've decided to put a little bit of energy into is a, a new concept for a video slash podcast. That's basically a couple of things I love to do, which is to drink craft beer and talk about current events and politics. So I got a buddy of mine's co-host, David, and uh, we've been just kind of building it grassroots and we'll put everything the way we want it. And then we'll make a, an actual splash. But right now, Brewing Controversy is available on Facebook. And uh, there's a page there that everybody can follow and tune in Tuesday nights. Um, usually it's uh, in my in my basement studio space, but every month we go to one of our local breweries. That's a favorite hangout. Ultimately, we want to be able to travel to different breweries, sit in the brewery, try the beer, review the beer, while also grousing about politics and social events or, or current events and, and social topics and that sort of things. Basically the stuff that we always did on our own when we were drinking beer, we just decided to put a camera in, in the middle. <laughs> and uh, we, we got some comments already. Willow Schuyler says, hashtag free Lucas. <laughs> I, 
I think we're past that point, Willow. We we are past that point. I um, you know, we joke we joke on my podcast a lot, and then Johnny, you and I joke a lot uh, about the the haters. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of people in the in the past drama sphere that don't have any hobbies, so they'll go and report people they don't like, and using basically abusing the Facebook algorithm as flawed as it is. So if you say any little thing that they can possibly get you dinged for, they'll get you reported. And I just got out of a 30-day Facebook jail for a few days and uh, commented on somebody that I thought might be okay, but somebody was able to report something else. And uh, I just got flat deleted. So I'm currently handling it in certain ways in the witness protection program of Facebook. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm around. You've been relocated. <laughs> yeah. I'm living on a little weird Facebook island. Now, now Willow is commenting. She says, hey, everyone. And uh, why aren't you on screen with us, Willow? If you can comment, you can come on screen. <laughs> you got the link. I sent it to everybody. And um, Comic Talk with Pops Van Zant is uh, watching. So uh, we uh, welcome you, Pops. And for anybody else who is watching, if you're not familiar with how this works, you get to interact with us by posting your comments and uh, letting us know, um, letting letting us know what you think about what we're talking about. Uh, you get to interact with us, and if it goes well, I will open up the lines for other people to join us for a minute on. Um, on 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 camera now. Willow <laughs> hasn't watched the oh. show yet. Spoilers. Oh. <laughs> is this still okay? I don't know if somebody's turned this into something that you're going to get banned from a platform for. Is this still shame on you, or does it have like a dirty connotation or a racist there, symbol? Yeah, no, we can't shame <laughs> anybody for anything anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. Shaming in general is not. A, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Shame well, on you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, in that case, I have to put this up for Willow's sake. Thank you. We are, are going to, to say be, anything. We are going to be talking a lot of spoilers. So, Willow, if you don't care about spoilers, continue to watch. But if uh, if spoilers are a big thing, as much as I hate to leave you uh, or lose you, you probably don't want to hang around. Because we're not holding anything back on this show. It's been almost a week since the finale. And um, if you haven't seen the spoilers or haven't seen the episode by now, I can't help you. <laughs> it was Agatha all along. <laughs> so, okay, we're going to talk about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And before I get to any of the graphics from the finale, which I have many, um, is it all right for me to say that um, that I was a little bit disappointed that Falcon and the Winter Soldier wasn't as twisty, turvy as WandaVision? Okay. Okay. I mean, because it was straightforward MCU, right? Yeah. And, you know, so many people hated WandaVision because it was so different and so out of the box. 
And then we get to what they wanted, what which is straightforward MCU. And there was a little piece of me that was a little bit disappointed that it wasn't as surreal. I think maybe you feel that way because um, these were not intended to be aired in this order. So Falcon Winter Soldier was supposed to be the first of the series that we got to see. And I think if you'd seen it before WandaVision, you wouldn't even have this thought. No, you're right. <laughs> so I think I think you weren't intended to be taken on that journey in that order, but but that's the order that we took that journey in. <laughs> I yeah. think WandaVision is just a tough act to follow in general because that show was above and beyond most things we get on yeah. TV. Period. Like we're not just talking superhero or MCU. It was it just worked on so many levels that it was a tough act to follow. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was amazing, but it it was no one of vision. <laughs> well, yeah. what once once I got past that initial okay, this is straightforward in the box MCU. This is the formula. Um, once I, I, I readjusted myself and recalibrated my brain, everything was great. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it, it took me a couple of, uh, episodes and, um, you know, there were, there were some twists and turns, but, um, for the most part, this was a pretty straightforward story. And for those of you who haven't seen it yet, it is all about Sam Wilson, the Falcon, um, having to go through this journey to accept the role of the person he already was. Yeah, that's that's a good description. At the end of Avengers Endgame, Steve Rogers, who went back in time to return all the Infinity Stones, doesn't come back immediately. I mean, he does come back, but when we see him, he's an old man because he's decided to live the... 75 years, you know, in the past. He stayed in the past, lived out 75 years. And when he does reappear sitting on that bench by the lake, he's, you know, over 100 years old. And he gives the shield to the Falcon. Now, Kelly, when that happened in Avengers Endgame, I... Almost jumped out of my seat. There were so many great moments in the <laughs> game, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go through them again this week on the uh, audio podcast. But but when Steve Rogers gave the shield to Sam, I know a lot of fans said Bucky should get it. Bucky should get it. But you remember there was that little that little exchange between Sam and Bucky where he's like, "Yeah, oh, you go." Because we find out in the Falcon and Winter Soldier series that Steve and Bucky had talked about it and had come to a mutual decision. Yeah, you, you like that part? That I felt like my only issue with him giving it to Sam because it made sense for him to give it to Sam over Bucky, honestly, with where the character. My only issue was him giving it to Sam without talking to Bucky. Hmm. I liked that. They just had them talk about it off screen. That was yeah. beautiful. Well, I I always assumed that they did because of the way Bucky looked at him and was like, "Yeah, go on." <laughs> That's true. But That's for them to verify, it was great. 
And so at the end of Endgame, I'm like super excited because one of my favorite eras of the Captain America comic was this. Yes. And I, first of all, I love the Falcon. The Falcon is one of my all-time favorite characters ever. And when I was a kid, I had the Mego Falcon action figure that I wore out. I just destroyed that thing playing with it so much. And so when the Falcon became Captain America in the comics, one, I thought it was just a great, um, a great, uh, uh, natural step uh, for the character and evolution. And so when Steve gave him that shield at the end of Endgame, I was so excited. Oh, yeah. But, th but then they announced the name of this series, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> He's supposed to be Captain America. What's going on? And I think I was a lot like you, Johnny. I... I you know, did my typical theater reaction, you know, I gave it some kind of, yeah, <laughs> or some other shit from my seat. And it was, I was stoked, just like you. But I also spent the whole MCU film franchise from the moment Sam showed up, I just kept saying to myself, when? When does it happen? When does it happen? It has to happen. When does it happen? So every time there'd be a rumor that they weren't going to sign Chris Evans or he was too expensive or he was tired of doing like every time a rumor came out, I didn't care. You know, most of the fandom was like, oh, no, not Chris. And I'm over here going, yeah, whatever. Let him take the year off. I got I got a cap. And I was so happy to see them explore this journey to that because, uh, you know, I come into my Marvel by way of the MCU. I come into my DC by way of childhood reading. So I have to take it from the screen and go research it. And when I had done some research to see a little bit about some of these characters, I ran into that information about all the different caps. And I didn't realize how fraught with drama that role, the role of cap was because I only basically knew, okay, there's, there's Steve. And then I had seen all the headlines, of course, when black captain America was a thing the first time, like, Oh, that's pretty sweet. Okay, cool. I had no idea that all this other stuff happened. Had to go fill it in, so I came to it waiting for the just let's just jump to the thing I thought was the coolest, and they did. <laughs> well, and so that's an interesting point, Lucas. This series took basically forty years of stories from the Captain America comics and distilled them into six forty-five minute to hour-long episodes, and did it fantastically. Um, let's talk first about uh, the character of Bucky Barnes. Uh, we learn in this series why Bucky Barnes was not the obvious choice to take the shield. Uh, he had a lot of stuff he had to deal with. Yeah. Kelly, you want to comment on that? Oh, Bucky is one of my favorite characters in the MCU and one of my favorite characters in Marvel Comics. So, so happy that he's been done really well. Um, I really loved that they actually showed him going to therapy and the therapist didn't turn out to be evil. I, I love that. <laughs> so often that's what happens. And I love that the 
whole series, therapy and mental health was a theme. And it was really, his journey really was mental health. Like, yeah, obviously there's a bunch of action. And that's, that's important. That's fun. But it was really about him finding peace within himself. And Sam helped him get there because how did we meet Sam? Sam was a Sam bonded with Steve over PTSD and the fact that Sam knew how to counsel soldiers with PTSD. That's such an important part of Sam's character. That's why Sam, or one of the reasons Sam is the obvious choice for the next Captain America, because the world needs someone with that compassion. And um, I know this is about Bucky, but but uh, it made them just a perfect pairing for the series and just perfect to help each other on on their journey. Sam was perfect to help Bucky on his journey. It was beautifully done. And can we talk about the chemistry between the two of them? Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they they lucked out in a way, but they nurtured something that was beautiful from the first screen test. And I think you you get it you get it all. You get you get the buddy comedy, the buddy the buddy serious. You get a little bit of all the buddy thing, but then you also get these two upstanding characters that can entirely separate and then reunify repeatedly with that chemistry that you're talking about. It's great. Solid gold. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the, the scene with them having to go to therapy together, was, one of the, that was fantastic. That was one of the funniest things. And it's just the two of them sitting in a chair facing each other and, and it worked. And, you know, I loved that, that moment when, you know, uh, Sam asks him, can't you just accept that I did what I thought was right? And Bucky says, well, you know, you giving up the shield makes me think that Steve was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. And that had real world connotations, real world consequences for for him. Yeah. That I mean, just repeating those lines just made the hair on the back of my neck, what little there is, stand up. <laughs> that was heartbreaking. Yeah, they, they went to a lot of good places in a lot of great ways. And um, I really feel like they took their time with some of the stuff they needed to take their time with, and then they paid it back later on. <laughs> DL says it was couples therapy, too. Hey, DL, why aren't you on the screen with us? You can jump on here. We'd love to have you. Um, yeah, it was it was basically couples therapy, which was hilarious. <laughs> but um, the the other thing it did, this series did, which I thought did really t- tastefully. And uh, oh, DL says she's working. Well, I'm um, glad that we're able to be a part of your uh, your work day, DL. Love you and miss you, baby. Um, so the other thing that this thing, this series did really well, besides dealing with mental health, it took on the subject of race and race relations and civil rights, but not in a hit you, hit you over the head with it or in a, you know, an, uh, the all white man is evil kind of thing, but in a very tactful, tasteful, yet significantly relevant way. And I, I really like that. I mean, I, 
I watched some videos from some people who do what we do on YouTube. And I'm not going to name their names, but they, you know who they are, Kelly. Uh, and, and some of the guys, you know, there's one show that has six white guys in their parents' basement basically having a an angry white guy sausage fest. And they were all like, Marvel has gone woke, and this is going to be awful, and yada, yada, yada. And I didn't get that at all. I thought they addressed a very real issue in a very relevant way, but without without making it like a thing. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It was. It worked with the story. It was very natural. And also, it wasn't... It didn't feel like white people were writing this story. Okay. I know it's hard. It's hard to put in words. Like white people were writing this story because they felt like they had to meet some quota. Mm. It felt like this story was written by people who actually understood the issues they were writing about and maybe had lived experience. I don't know for sure what the, you know, racial makeup of the writer's room was, but it felt like people who actually understood racial inequality were writing the story. And it came across as more authentic than just like a white person sitting down and saying, we're going to be woke. Not that white people can't write these stories. I'm not saying that either. <laughs> but it, it wasn't forced. It was an organic part yeah. of the story. Well, and uh, Malcolm Spellman is is I don't I don't I don't pretend to know by looking, but uh, definitely not a straight up white dude. Um, but his his care, I think, in not giving those guys any real red meat, they were just having to invent their own basement dwelling red meat. Like they didn't have anything to latch onto. And what's funny is the only angry commentary I heard about the race topic in this show came early on from one of my black friends. I had a friend mad because he doesn't want to see all this stuff again. Like I lived through it. I don't want to see this again. And I, and I pulled him off on a, on a message aside. I said, I know what you're saying, but there's so many people that need to see this. And that's why I've, I've described the show as being vital to the content of the race conversation in America. Um, and I think by the end of the show, he changed the opinion that he was developing. Right, right at first, he was really peeved. And I, and I understood why, but I said, you got to give it time, I think, because I believe they're setting us up for the opportunity for a whole lot of people to learn a whole lot of stuff that they really might not have understood. And if you were educated enough, you saw the, you know, the, the ties and the shadows of you know, Tuskegee, et cetera, being reflected in the, in the story. But some people don't know about any of this stuff and now they might actually go read about, like, why did they tell that story? Oh, that was kind of a thing that happened. And, you know, it, it's a gateway for the people that don't know and an, uh, a great go-to for people that do. And I really hope that uh, most people see the complete six episodes as a really great journey on so many fronts. Well, and so <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, and if you don't, why are you watching this right now? But uh, we're we're talking about Isaiah Bradley and uh, his role in the the creation of 
or in the legacy of Captain America. Now, in the Marvel Comics universe, Isaiah Bradley was actually the first super soldier before Steve Rogers. Um, He was the first successful test, and the American government had decided, oh, we can't have a black man representing our country, so we need, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, stars and stripes. And Isaiah Bradley was kind of relegated to the archives of history and decommissioned. And in this series, he came after Steve in the effort to recreate the super soldier serum. Now, what was interesting to me is, you know, he talks about how there what there were six of them and he was the only one who survived it. Now, we know that that the power broker, and we'll get to the power broker in a minute, um, hired a team to recreate the super soldier serum um, based on Erskine's original formula, and that Isaiah Bradley was the four, you know, the foundation of that, his blood, which they had been drawing and experimenting on for 30 years to try to replicate, which means this show has a direct a direct connection to the Incredible Hulk film with Emil Blonsky becoming the abomination because that was this they're there they thought they had uh, figured out the super zero super soldier serum uh, to use on him but it wasn't perfected yet. Did did anyone think we would see the abomination in this series? There were a lot of rumors, but did you guys believe that? I didn't think six episodes was enough to pack in too much. So DL says, I really wanted to see MCU address Isaiah Bradley's story a bit more in depth, not just a quick conversation between characters. Well, that might come. That might be something that comes later on down the line. We'll have to wait and see. But um, I thought they did a great job with him and a great job with that issue. And, you know, like your friend Lucas, who had his mind changed, Isaiah Bradley had his mind changed by the end of the series. Mm-hmm. That actor was amazing. And uh, to talk a little more about Isaiah Bradley and his type, the parallels to the real world. So he's part of military experimentation in the MCU anyways. Um, and he he didn't even know what he was being experimented on. And then, of course, he was jailed and experimented on further. And that has very real parallels to the real world where Black men were experimented on back around that time. And that was very much done on purpose. And I think... Um, I think it's worth doing further reading for anyone who feels up to reading into a not pretty subject. Well, the, the Tuskegee experiments were, were, you know, for those of you who don't know, um, they were using the Tuskegee, um, Tuskegee, Mississippi, right? Is the town, but the, the Tuskegee airmen, men who had served in world war two come home and they're being used as guinea pigs for vaccines. Yeah. And, and, and to this day, 
I've got a I've got a great friend that I work with. Tuskegee syphilis study. Okay, the syphilis study. Um, Makes it sound so almost maybe noble. You throw yeah. experiment in there, which is the truth. It's a lot more sinister, and uh, well, it was pretty sinister. <laughs> well, and and this it's is Alabama. why. Oh, Alabama. Okay. And I'm cheat cheating over here for you. That's okay. Well, no, thank thank you. you. I couldn't think of the name of it. I had thank read you. about the connection actually after the show. A friend of mine had posted the link. So thank you, Lucas, for filling in the gaps. Go it ahead. has a lot of really freaky names, actually. Everybody should go do some readings. It's really just ooh. Well, <laughs> and see, I didn't know that about the Tuskegee experiments. Um, after World War II, I was familiar with the Tuskegee Airmen, who were the first, you know, black fighter pilot regiment in World War II, the Red Tails. And Isaiah Bradley referenced the Red Tails. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you want to watch a great movie about the Red Tails, the movie Red Tails by George Lucas was a really great movie. And the tie-in uh, with the airmen is uh, one of the one of the people that was experimented on was involved with a uh, an airfield that the airmen used, but there weren't any overlaps of the participants that were actually okay. soldiers. So the the comic the comic nod there is kind of taking that connection into a full flown marriage and making it like all the way sinister. And I think that's really cool because they need to tell that story because really, let's be let's be honest. You don't have to have a program of experimentation stateside to experiment on American soldiers. We've done it every time we've sent an American soldier into any field. There's usually some unknown danger that we only care about after they're home and being neglected. Um, So I think it's really important story, just like all the PTSD and the therapy and all that. It's great to see them just talking about the topic of the dishonest risks that we tend to put on our soldiers and then weaving it into this racial history issue is just another brilliant stroke. And uh, I don't want to, I don't know if you were going to talk about the director, Johnny, so I don't want to jump ahead, but Carrie, no, um, I had done a little bit of research on her, but then I was looking up the full list and I think we're in, we're seeing what happens when you have a really good set of writing, directing chops for, social topics, but also some action cred. And if you run back through her list, I mean, she's got The Loudest Voice, which is a Roger Ailes uh, miniseries, but Nosferatu and Handmaid's Tale, but an episode of The Punisher, Some Walking Dead, Um, The Americans, which is, you know, spy and espionage, Fear the Walking Dead, Sons of Liberty. So there's this really diverse body of work, I think, that really gave her the platform to take the writing, take the chemistry of these great actors and this fabulous material and use everything in her resume to bring exactly the right product to us. Well, that that's fantastic. And, you know, I, I will say this and, and we'll uh, kind of move on uh, past Isaiah Bradley, the Tuskegee Experiments have had impact even today because I've got this great friend, Kevin, who refuses to get the COVID vaccine because of what happened in Tuskegee 60 years ago. Um, So lasting ramifications. It's the topic right now in uh, communities of color and hesitancy on the vaccine. It's the primary driver. 
Um, which I think Marvel could play with that too if they wanted to, but it'd probably be something we're we're hopefully past that by the time they get to make new content yes. on that. I do want to before we drop off of, of Isaiah Bradley. How in the world I don't, they managed to find a guy not only with great chops and, and good body of work, but also just looked just like the guy, like comic frame and actor. It's like wow, incredible. Well, that's something the MCU has always done exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Their casting is, you know, dead on. And not just with Isaiah Bradley, but we got to talk about John Walker. Of all of the characters in this series, John Walker's character arc, I think, was the best for me. It was the most fascinating. Now, a lot of people who who weren't familiar with the, you know, comic source material hated John Walker and you were supposed to hate him. You were supposed to hate him, but a lot of people hadn't realized that, you know, back in the late eighties, Steve Rogers had been stripped of the mantle of Captain America and the federal government hired John Walker, who had already been given not just super soldier powers, but, above and beyond super strength um, by the power broker. And they, they just hired him to come on as the new Captain America. And through the whole story arc and through the years, he would become the U.S. agent. And um, there's a current five-issue limited series that finished up this week, a uh, brand-new story on the U.S. agent. And he's become a staple of the Avengers Marvel universe since the late eighties. But um, he was always a douchebag in the Mm -hmm. comics. Um, He was always that character that you, you hated him. You didn't like him. And you always wanted to see kind of like Guy Gardner in the green lantern stories. You wanted to see him get punched in the face. You remember Kelly in G- JLA when Batman punched Guy Gardner? That yes. you, you always wanted to see that happen to John Walker, and it never, never did. But um, there's still you know, time, Marvel. <laughs> yeah. <put> on that. <laughs> but well, I think they did a good job with what they tend to do a good job with when Marvel makes a villain or at least film-wise, comics pretty diverse and you didn't always have to have grounding. But in this real-world scenario, you got to do something to make it believable. And uh, they keep doing this thing where they knock it out of the park on giving this person or, you know, giant purple godlike being um, some kind of basis in what they're going through. And you can kind of see, like, Okay, this is the wrong kind of guy to be putting in this situation. This is not going to go well, and then it doesn't go well, and you're like, "Yeah, see." And then he starts to kind of struggle, and you're like, "Well, now I almost feel bad for him, but now he's still a jerk." And then, like, they make him real, and they make him like somebody you might know. And I think um, there was a tiny little bit, and and nobody expects me to talk about these kinds of reconciliations in our culture, but there's a tiny little bit of lifting from where we are right now trying to show you the story of how could this guy be that much of a prick? What might make him think that way? Or how would his personality shape into where he ended up? And that kind of goes along with how you look at the people that you may not agree with now in our culture. And they're almost giving you the sign that, Hey, you know what? 
we're going to show you how he got that way instead of just, oh, this guy's just a jerk. You know, you get to see a little bit of the background. And I, I kind of like that he didn't take the trope of, of the girlfriend getting killed, like the comic book. Uh, that's just, that's almost too easy. I thought the uh, uh, Battlestar thing was way more powerful. Well, and I'm not entirely sure we've seen the last of uh, Battlestar. Um, was his name Lucas? Was his name Lucas too, Lucas? I think so. Lamar. Lamar, that's it. Um, there's some rumors floating around that he may become the MCU version of Deathlock. Okay. okay. Deathlock is a he he is a soldier who was killed in battle, who was basically resurrected through cybernetics and became a cyborg warrior soldier. And we've already seen Deathlock in Agents of Shield. Um, so there's a rumor that that might happen with with uh, Battlestar, that but could, um, that could work. Yeah, it could, it could, and, and you know, I, 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 the whole time I kept asking myself, what is the what is the uh, government thinking sending two Un, non-powered agents into the field against eight super soldiers. How did they think that was going to turn out? I mean, the, their accomplishments were great. The shield is great, but I mean, at least you know Bucky has the the serum and a cybernetic arm, and at least Sam has the combat experience against threats like Thanos and the Black Order. I think you know, it was a commentary on our overconfidence in our military equipment. Honestly, I think I think it it made a tiny commentary on uh, leaders that don't actually have to do the fighting, feeling like if they just take the expensive toy and give it to some guy, he can go be successful. And that does not work because they don't have the same spirit, ethos, skill, background, etc. And I, I thought that I thought it was interesting to. There's a lot of cool ways that they really poke the the government villainy uh, at you in this in this show without being none of it is on the nose enough that it's preaching none of these lessons. Yeah. Well, in in that regard, DL mentioned. I know I wasn't the only one happy to see Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine or Val. You you can call me Val, just not out loud in your head. Um, <laughs> For those of you who don't Copy know who that. she is, she is kind of the female counterpart to Nick Fury. Um, she's had a lot of iterations in the comics in over the last, you know, 40, 50 years. Um, notably, she was Madam Hydra. Um, in in this series, it's obvious that she's not I don't think she's working for Hydra. I think she is working for an agency of the government, the American government. Um, I think that she's probably working directly under Thunderbolt Ross. I like that one. And, and I think the rumor that we are going to get the Thunderbolts in the MCU is, is probably going to play out. Now, some of the characters that they suggested to be a part of that Thunderbolts team died in the series. Like uh, Batrock, the Batrock the Leaper, and 
even my son was like, who is that guy? I don't remember that guy. <laughs> um, but he, uh, you know, he fought Captain America to a standstill in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And um, he got kind of punked out here by, uh, uh, was it who, was it Carly or was it Val that did it? Who pulled the trigger on him? Do you remember, Kelly? No, I'm blanking. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> someone just shot him blank dead. Or was it Zemo? It, I think it was Zemo. I think it was Zemo. I'm, uh, I'm looking it up now because... Uh, because Sharon Carter put the bullet in Carly Morgenthau. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, <sighs> there's, there's another character that, you know, we had a lot of empathy for. Um, you know, that, that one world, one people, that's something I've preached for a long time. Um, and, um, you know, I I don't know. What do you want to say about Carly, Kelly? Okay. So I had empathy for her, but at the same time, she was all over the place as a villain and like, I had empathy for her, but but I'm also like, if you really cared about people, why are you blowing people up? Which you could say about a lot of villains. (laughs) Well, I think Sam wrapped that up really well in that just phenomenal monologue. Um, And also it was Sharon. She uh, does the the quick Batroc disposal there at the end. but yeah, I think that that question is always lingering. But then Sam did a great. I mean, I, for me, I want to to mash these up and and publish it until somebody takes it down. That um, that speech from the newsroom that's uh, talking about the political system in America and laying it down, and then Sam's monologue on the street. I think those two back to back are like my favorite two things on recent modern television in the last 10 years that have said some things that I was thinking <laughs> or things people needed to hear. But I, I think they, they went miles and miles in a very short piece of dialogue to explain things like the, then why are you blowing people up thing? Um, and I thought she was played with an interesting balance. I mean, I wasn't sure how that would work because a lot of times they do gender swaps and it's like, oh, you just did this for the sake of the gender swap. And this was definitely not treated that way. It was treated with very specific intent. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, who knows? Maybe something will come up with her again. Well, <laughs> that's her off. <laughs> yeah, no bets are off. It's it is you know comic book uh, TV, so you never know who could survive or who who doesn't. But um, you know one of the one of the uh, theories was that Carly Morgenthau would become a part of that Thunderbolts team. But in the comics, <laughs> the comics, the Thunderbolts were not led by Thunderbolt Ross. That that was later on. They were originally formed by Baron Zemo. Mm-hmm. And they were well-known villains who took on new heroic identities and masqueraded as heroes. Um, 
it was this whole big evil plot that kind of backfired on them because, or backfired on Zemo because the villains actually turned out to be really good heroes <laughs> and really enjoyed being heroic and, and not being evil. And several of them went on to become real, real deal heroes and even to join the Avengers as members later on. Um, in particular, Songbird, who um, was screaming Mimi before she took on the uh, identity of Songbird. And even uh, Moonstone uh, became uh, a, a faux Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel um, during Dark Reign. But um, let, let's talk about Zemo for a minute. There was another character who, you know, he wasn't really a villain. No, he was done really well and nuanced. <laughs> You're muting me. <laughs> I, I'm just jumping in here. He was very nuanced, very, he's a really good foil for Sam and Bucky for the episodes that he was traveling with them, which was really interesting. And he, oh, yeah. oh. The actor is top notch, like very charismatic, very just definitely showed you where Zemo is coming from. Even though, again, like, <laughs> well, you know what's funny about Baron Zemo is Daniel Bruhl, the actor. I mean, the whole time I'm watching him, I'm like, he looks kind of dorky, like Peter Parker, like Toby McGuire, <laughs> Peter Parker, but. He's really cool. I mean, you know, do you know what I'm saying? It was it was a weird thing going on with Zemo. And yeah. but we got that moment in the club, that Peter Parker moment. Has anyone watched the extended cut of that? The party no, scene? I need to. Yeah. To, oh, right. Yes. I almost forgot about the, yeah. 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 Fans, fans campaigned for two or three years to get the Snyder cut of justice league. And then fans campaigned for like two weeks and got the extended Zemo cut. I thought that was hilarious. And, yeah. and it's become and, the meme, the, the official meme material out of this, uh, this series. Well, I, I really liked Zemo, and I, I can't wait to see more of him. And if that leads to a Thunderbolt series with him leading, um, yes. you know, uh, the the Abomination, who is out there somewhere in custody, uh, he's another super soldier, which would be interesting because Zemo's whole thing is to eliminate the super soldier program in the MCU, and... A lot of people were saying, well, Carly Morgenthau or, you know, Bucky will become part of the, the Thunderbolts under Zemo's command or now maybe U.S. agent, which would be so weird to have super soldiers under the command of the guy who hates the super soldiers. But maybe that's what creates the conflict of the series or the movie. I mean, I, I could see the, the, the baggage you know, maybe he goes full bore after Abomination. Um, you know, maybe he uh, he sends his team in that direction, and U.S. agent never can trust him because of that factor, and that creates some extra drama. 
and maybe they succeed and then he's going well now what am i next you know and it, they're these off-color kind of douchey guys at each other is always a fun piece of, of the story whenever we can get it so well so you know D, uh daryl says uh totally wanting to see u.s agent in his own show something gritty that lets the character emerge um I, I thought they did a really good job of you know bringing his character out and that character arc was great and did anyone else was anyone else surprised to find out that uh the actor playing john walker was russell wyatt the uh the son of kurt russell and goldie hawn Yes, I, I, I was surprised. I did not know that until it was revealed, and then they showed the side by side. Like, oh, oh yeah. Once you see the side by side, you're like, I can't unsee it now. Like, of course. Which means they need to do a sequel to Sky High. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say we need to come up with um, some sort of fan theory that he's somehow connected to Peter Quill. Because mm. we go. Oh yeah. Hmm. I haven't seen that. That would be interesting. <laughs> well, there are a lot of interesting, uh, weird fan theories, even in this short six episode span. My favorite is trying to solve the the weird, um, the 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 idea that Cap went back in time, that Steve went back in time, and chose to live. <sighs> all this time and not do anything, just kick back and watch all hell break loose, right? And then, you know, sit on the shield in a case long enough to give it to Sam. So there's this theory, and I cannot re-describe it. You're going to have to go look at it. I think it's uh, Ryan Airy, Screen Crush, one of those uh, YouTube channels, but talks about how that may not be the same shield that it may be a, a different universe shield that was always Sam's shield that Steve went and snatched because he knew it belonged to him anyway, or something. It's a really interesting concept and it presents this uh, duplicity of the idea that there was already another cap handling things so that Steve could just be old and, and live his 75 year history. So there's a lot of interesting tangles when you start thinking about the time travel and the guys, you know, the showrunners and, and filmmakers have never really made an explanation that makes any sense. <laughs> so, you know, it gets confusing, but there's there's never been a clear-cut answer as to, well, wait a minute. So That's, that's something they're holding back for later on. Maybe, yeah. That because... Is, oh, sorry, go on. Well, because, you know, we've seen flashbacks of um, Hank Pym <laughs> as Ant-Man with Janet Van Dyne. Um, we know that, you know, Peggy Carter founded S.H.I.E.L.D. And as far as we can tell, nothing that Steve Rogers did changed that. So I think he must have gone back in time to a point after the Peggy Carter TV series. Um, because, you know, everything was was created and founded and went along as, as it should. So... Maybe there's a story to be told about a undercover Steve Rogers working in the field, you know, doing things secret in secret. 
I don't know. I think that's why they're holding back so much of that. Yeah, yeah, could be. There's a really funny college humor video about how dumb <laughs> that is and about Steve just kind of sitting back and like Peggy's like reading him the news line or the news headlines of the day. He's like, oh, and just like not saying anything. And then <laughs> Peggy's like, oh, look at my brother's daughter that was just born. Isn't she cute? Couldn't you just kiss her? And he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I don't know if if you're if it's on the agenda, but I definitely want to make sure we we opine while we're talking about theories about the power broker. Yes. So that was the biggest surprise, <laughs> um, but it was a, pre, a prevailing theory from her first appearance on the show, um, and it all came from the iPhone theory. Do you guys know about this? Uh. Uh-uh. Apple apparently in their in their contracts for product placement do not allow any villain to use an iPhone. And so so she had a smartphone but it was not an iPhone. And so astute viewers picked up on that immediately and said she's the villain. I should have gotten that. She's the power broker. Whoa. <laughs> I'm the Apple zealot here. I should have gotten that. That, that, that uh, is. That's interesting. Yeah. And, interesting. But, but for those of you who don't know the comic source material, Sharon Carter is definitely not a villain in the comics. She is modern Steve Rogers partner, love interest, uh, one of many. Steve has a tendency to get around with the ladies, if you know what I mean. Uh, um, we could probably do a show on who has Steve shagged, and it would be an hour-long show. Well, I'm not... It be quicker to talk about who he hasn't. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. would be quick. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I'm not 100% sure that the power broker is a person. Um, I definitely subscribe to the theory that maybe the power broker is an idea that is served by an operator or multiple operators at any given time. And the clear network that she's working with, that might be the power broker. That it's the the, the idea, the concept, the people in a group are the power broker. And she may not be honestly participating in that. She may be running another op of some kind. So, well, it could be, although, for me, the the episode where she's walking through the underground of Madripoor with guys with machine guns just hanging out, and you know, no one's paying her a, a second thought. I'm like, yeah, she's she's the power broker. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think she is, and and that turns the Marvel Comics continuity on its head. But here's where this gets really interesting, Kelly is that she's now been reinstated into that circle, the former S.H.I.E.L.D., now S.W.O.R.D., which means she's probably on a collision course with Monica Rambeau. Ooh, nice. And, okay, so here's my question. 
because like you said, in the comics, she is not a bad guy. And to me, this villainous turn does not jive with her character as has been previously established in the MCU. Even given that she was left out on her own and it doesn't jive. It just is not. Is she a scroll or being mind controlled? Or could be. Because she just went straight villain because she felt like her government turned its back on her. Her doing some questionably moral things. I do not see her going straight villain and well but but it wasn't an instant turn. You gotta remember that, that there's five years, maybe almost six now, between endgame. Well, no, more than that. So at the end of Civil War, she goes on the run. And um, for some reason, I thought she had taken a job with with the FBI at the end of Civil War. But no, at the end of. But anyway. No, that was the end of Winter Soldier. She took a job with the FBI. Okay. So, so then Civil War. She steals the shield and the wings for Cap, and she goes on the run. And after Civil War, between Civil War and Infinity War, there's two years that they're on the run, hiding out. Um, You know, Scott Lang is under house arrest. Hawkeye is under house arrest. The rest of the Avengers are, you know, hiding out on the run. And... um, and then there's another five years for the blip. So we're talking yeah. about a seven-year period because she didn't get blipped out. She was right. one of the ones left behind. So we're talking about seven years. And seven years on the run, having to fend for herself and make a new life in this new world and being left out hang, to out to dry. I mean, that could that could mess with someone. It could. I just still don't buy it. I don't know. And to me, it's more probable that there's a there's another layer of spin to this. It's yeah. more probable to me that she's uh, the scroll thing could work because a, a scroll trying to take her biography and and roll with it would make those conclusions easier than the real character. You know, the scroll could say, "Oh, that's great narrative. She feels betrayed. That's how I'm going to play her." Um, <laughs> or she's infiltrating some kind of group and uh, doing something with that, or um, it's it's totally a spin for believability for some reason. You know, I, I just I feel like it's more likely knowing her character that it's a work of some kind, and I don't, or it's not even her. That's the the other part. You know, the not even her angle. Well, and this is something they didn't really touch on too deeply, but, you know, during that five-year, seven-year period, Steve and Natasha were still around. I know, that's crap. And, and you know, she doesn't go to them. You know, Steve and Natasha don't help her out. Maybe that is a contributing factor. She feels like, you know, this guy who I saved his life just leaves me out in the wind. Right. I don't know. 
I, I thought I it was. Know. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought it was an interesting character choice. I don't know how I feel about it yet. Well, it's important to remember that in the comics, she was um, brainwashed, and she's the one who actually killed Steve. Yes, killed him, and she's bra- because she was brainwashed into killing him. So it's not without precedent in the comics. But I'm sorry, I was talking over you. I just <laughs> had to defend Sharon. <laughs> no, look, there's so many layers to that that um, I hope we get to examine it, but. The moment I was waiting for <laughs> was episode six. And we finally got it. And let me just say, the new Captain America is a total badass. Oh, yeah. I love this episode's commitment to, we set all this stuff up. We're not going to waste any time. Here's an intro. And now it's action. And it is action, 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 action until it's not action. And there was no uh, indecision about that. We, he, he comes in hot and stays hot <laughs> the whole episode. We didn't have to have any downtime. We didn't have to have any back to the bayou and cooking some more crawfish. None, none, none of those breaks. We got those breaks out of the way. He comes in barely visible, and you're like, well, it, is it? Is it? And then through that glass, and we're on. <laughs> Well, you know, what, what was really funny is, you know, <clears throat> you know, the, the, see, episode five ends with him opening, opening the case from Wakanda. I knew what it was. I knew what was coming because I read the comics. Um, I was hoping that it was going to be a comic accurate costume. And lo and behold, yes, it was. That was amazing to begin with. Yep. Um, but but I'm watching that that sixth episode and i'm like man now sam's got the shield he's got wakandan tech if he still had red wing he would just be over the top awesome and as soon as i thought that here comes red wing and not just one but he had at least three of them that was was two i think it was two he had the big one and then he had two smaller ones that i saw you counting the pack or I wasn't no. aware of a big one. You, you know, yeah, the the one that's on his back. Oh, that's the big one. But then he had two. You're counting. Ones. You're counting that as a red wing. Y- yeah, because it oh. detaches in it. Okay. Yes. I, I you need to no go back and watch it again. I, I had no idea that the big the big pack would be autonomous. But what I mean, I don't care. I, I, I'm fine. Fine both ways. Well, no, no, it's a sm- <laughs> it's a smaller unit inside the big pack. It oh. comes out, but that that thing is about you know as big as my head. But then he had two smaller ones that were about as big as a fist. Yeah, Kelly, did you see that the same way? Yeah. Okay. And my husband sitting off screen nodding. <laughs> I I really um, I love the mastery of all of the elements. You know, when you talk about the the badass factor, I mean, he's got the tech mastered. But he's also got the ethic of the hero. He's got the physicality of the regular man. That's you know he's got that Batman factor, I guess, that Tony factor, just being a guy that's good with tech. Um, and then the shield <laughs> and the physics of it all, also mastered. 
<laughs> and it's just fun to watch. There well, so because many- he put in the work. Yeah, right. He did the work. It wasn't yeah. just a magic pill and he can sling the shield. That was one of my favorite parts of the series, actually, was watching him struggle to learn how to use the shield. Yeah, yeah, I think that was important. Although, isn't it kind of funny that Steve Rogers at the end of Endgame just gives him the shield and says, it's yours now, but he doesn't say, you're going to have to learn how to use it. It's going to take a lot of work. This needs practice. Oh, right. no, it's, just, yeah. it's yours. It's- have fun. Yeah. My work here is done. <laughs> well, and that's one of the that's one of the lines that fed that theory I was talking about. They're saying uh, where he says it feels like it's someone else's, and he says it isn't, and that's part of the reason that the fans are theorizing that he went and snatched it out of a different reality where Sam was already captain and brought him his own shield, essentially. But the whole idea that you start a different timeline every time you deviate that gives us so many openings. I mean, the accepted reality of the Russos said that, you know, when he went back, Steve created a different timeline that proceeded forward and we don't really have to justify how he came back in. But uh, I think this is the, like, this is the first time I've been, I, I liked Captain America. This is the first time I've wanted to buy the Marvel replica shield for a hundred dollars. You know, this is the first time that I've looked at that action figure set that you sent me a picture of the other day, Johnny, and thought, okay, fine. I might actually buy that because that action figures, it looks like it must spread out like this. It's huge. Well, I haven't been this enthusiastic about that character ever until now. And I'm so energized by Sam's cap. It just makes me happy. Well, as you can tell, I am very enthusiastic about Captain America. I am a Captain America collector. I don't necessarily collect the monthly comic series, but I collect, you know, the trade collections and a a lot of merchandise. I have all of the Captain America figures that they've done over the years, and um, I've got two different shields. Um, One's just a cheap Halloween costume shield. The other one is the Marvel Legends shield that I'm still trying to figure out how to mount on the wall. But, um, uh, you know, I I love Captain America. And I loved Sam Wilson as Captain America in the comics. And so to have him embrace that destiny, embrace that identity, and as we got at the end of the episode, you know, Captain America and the Winter Soldier will return – and then what two days later they announced Captain America four is coming, which will, you know, carry on the legacy is of Sam Wilson as Captain America. However, this is where I have to take issue with Marvel. Marvel shoots themselves in the foot all of the time because TV and movies and comics have a hard time syncing up. The DC universe doesn't have this problem. When when you went and saw Shazam and you went and bought the Shazam comic, the characters were exactly the characters you saw on screen, exactly the way you saw them. But when people watched the Avengers movie movies and they went to get Avengers comics, the characters were completely unrecognizable or completely different. Um, when Infinity War came out, the mainstream Avengers comic only had one character from the Avengers movies, and that was the Vision. The rest of the characters, well, 
Sam Wilson, but he was Captain America at that time in the event. So, so people who were fans of the movies had nothing to kind of connect to in the comics. And now Marvel has done it again because Sam Wilson hasn't been Captain America for about two years now in the comics. And so now all of these people have become fans and they want to go see him in the comics, but they got to buy the back issues. No. Yeah. Buy the trades. Who's cap right now? Just Steve Rogers. My comic ignorance. Okay. Yeah, he he he's given it up and brought it back. He's you know lost it and uh, you know they go through this cycle now. To Marvel's credit, they are getting ready to launch a new series. I think it's going to happen uh, this month called United States of Captain America, where all of the former Captain Americas, Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, Bucky Barnes, and John Walker, reassume the role. Of Captain America, they they don those colors again, so we will see Sam in the comics in that outfit again. All of them at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's. Well, who are they know. going after? Because whoever they are, they are screwed. <laughs> well, so the the series is supposed to examine the spirit of Captain America across the country, and they're going to meet characters who are inspired by Captain America. And who, you know, take on their own interpretation of the character. And that's raised some eyebrows and caused some of the uh, neckbeard fanboys to get all upset. But, um, you know, I'm like, let's read the story first. Before we get upset with the concepts, let's read the story. And if it's a good story, let's enjoy a good story. Yeah, really. And, And for me, seeing Sam back in the Captain America outfit in the comics is a plus. Now here's where this gets interesting. Kelly in, in the Captain America book. Well, in the Avengers and Captain America, when Sam was wielding the shield, he had two different love interests. In the Avengers comic, he and Jane Foster Thor had a very passionate relationship. And then when Jane Foster gave up the power of Thor, his next squeeze was Misty Knight. And they've been together since that time. So about two or three years. And Misty actually even wielded the shield for a a story arc. Uh, You'll have to go back and look at that, Kelly. Um, Misty Knight, Captain America. She was pretty badass. But... um, but now that those Netflix characters are back under Marvel's control, how cool would it be to get Misty Knight and Sam Wilson together in the MCU? I ship it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> I ship it already. I really, uh, I really think they have created space for them to explore more relationships by having these series, um, you know, yes. whether it's WandaVision or uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I keep wanting to say Captain America and the Winter Soldier because I'm stuck on that title switch at the end that I just Thanks giggled. I had so many childlike giggles in that final episode throughout everything, but that one was, was one of them. It was a combination giggle and almost cry. And then there's the whole museum scene where you're just like... But... Uh, 
the the relationship exploration that they couldn't take the time for in films. I think yeah. they set themselves up really well to be able to do that, whether it's buddy or romance or parent, whatever that that relationship angle is. Um, and, and I I think we might have gotten lucky by that flip of release order because we're primed, I think, more fairly primed for Loki than we would have been in the way that they wanted to release it before because I don't know, maybe Loki's going to be amazing, but I would I was going to feel sorry for Loki having to come after WandaVision. <laughs> <laughs> having to follow that, you know. But uh, Falcon Winter Soldier held its own in that slot well enough that I think we're all ready for what Loki may offer us, which will be kind of an escapism kind of deal, um, but still some more development. The, the relationships between characters are going to be able to be front and center on these shows for a minute. I had two major complaints about this series. And one of them came in episode one where Sam and Bucky basically decide they're on their own, that they don't have anyone that they can call or rely on. And I'm like, are you kidding? You just had a conference. You just had a meeting with James Rhodes, (laughs) war machine. Hello, Avengers (laughs) assemble. Right. Uh, uh, Bucky is the white wolf in Wakanda. You don't call your Wakandan friends. You have to force them to show up to clean up what they think is your mess. Uh, w- hello, Peter Parker. Hey, Pete, we could use your help. I mean, come on. He'd be what, thrilled. Yeah. Or, and, or, like, really, guys? Yeah. Or, or, or even you got Hawkeye over on his farm. I mean, come on. Nobody could help. I, I just that drove me insane. Insane. <laughs> no, you don't interrupt Hawkeye when he's hiding out with Linda Cardellini. In secret farm family that only exists when the, it's important to the plot that they exist. <laughs> or what? <laughs> Well, that's, the, that's a fair point. They really are kind of convenient. Hopefully, the series will give you know at least his daughter some real presence. I, well, but it's not his daughter. No, it's it's Kate Bishop. Yeah. Bishop. Oh. I'm so excited. Okay, which well. which is strange to begin with because in the films he was training his daughter. Yeah, and and now he's I, I don't know. We'll have to. That's why I, I don't care. I don't care about his family. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. I don't care if they retcon his family out of existence. Give me Kate Bishop. <laughs> so what you're saying is that when the family went to dust, you were like, oh, good. <laughs> Basically. Well, a lot of people were. They were like, yeah, but, you know, they're back. Yeah. No. I, I, I wouldn't go that far, but, like, all I care about is Kate Bishop. Like, I don't know. Okay, so in the comics, Lucas, you don't read the Hawkeye comics, right? Okay, so in the comics, he's currently a bachelor, and he's living in New York, and he is just a hot mess, and I love it. He's, okay. He's the kind of person that, like, will stub his toe on a counter and be like, oh, counter. And, <laughs> like, he's not... 
he's barely recognized from the MCU version. And don't get me wrong, I like the MCU version, but it's just so different. Well, and a lot of people don't like the current characterization of Hawkeye in the comics because he's not the same character that, you know, Roy Thomas created, Stan Lee wrote, and that, uh, sure. you know, um, George Perez and, and Kurt Busiek wrote so great. Um, you know, the purple clad, swashbuckling, cocky Avenger. He's he's turned into something a little different recently. And, you know, who knows if we'll see that Clint return, but that's um, yeah, yeah. He the MCU and and comics Hawkeye are, are very, very different. Um, but so, but that again, a lot of people are talking about the setup of maybe the young Avengers because we saw um, Eli, um, who in the young Avengers becomes Patriot, mm -hmm. but you know, hoping. In the comics, he was hoping he had his grandfather's super soldier serum blood, but he didn't. Turned out he didn't. Um, but didn't he do something in the comics where he was like getting um, shady aftermarket like versions of the super soldier serum or something? I I don't remember that in the in the Alan Heinberg Jim Chung series. I'll have to go back and reread it. Um, he did retire, and he turned it over to another character uh, who became Patriot, who's currently the character. Um, I, I don't know. But, I seem to remember he got like some sort of super soldier like drug. That, that could be for a few epi issues, episodes, issues for a few issues, and then he kicked that. And, but well. That there's precedence for that in the MCU in the Netflix series, uh, in the Daredevil uh, and mm -hmm. Jessica Jones series. Um, Trish Walker, that's how she got her powers. Yeah, as Hellcat. Golly, I can't. I so desperately hope that we see Hellcat in the She-Hulk series. See Lucas in the comics; mm -hmm. they're best friends. Yeah, yeah, I've picked and, that up. Uh, I pick up some things. <laughs> a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, I, I tend to be a two-screen viewer of the uh, of the utilitarian sense. I found that um, two-screen viewing was a new concept about ten years ago. That it meant something different than when my kid does it. Um, my kid's truly doing two separate things. Sometimes I'm a two-screen viewer in that. My phone is enhancing what I see. And almost any time a character comes on to a superhero show or movie, I'm over here going, oh, they become that person. I love <laughs> that. To, I do that sometimes, too. Yeah, especially in DC's TV. I mean, anything that's CW, it's like almost no character comes on that doesn't have an Easter egg meaning. So I'm always Googling names of, of characters to see where they are. And I think I ran into that when I was watching Jessica Jones. Um, I'm glad that those characters might be back in. I thought that they really squandered an opportunity to, to make a full ecosystem out of everything that they were doing. And they can't go back and fix it, but maybe they can kind of reintegrate. Well, and I, I think we're going to see, um, what, what is her name? Kristen Ritter, who played Jessica Jones. Yes. They've already said that she's coming back, that Charlie Cox is coming back. They better. Uh, 
Vincent D'Onofrio is coming back as the kingpin. Better. Uh, John Barenthal <laughs> is going to come back as the Punisher, but they'll probably have to recast uh, Power Man, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and I, uh, Iron Fist. Um, which I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, I just want to see Colleen Wing as right. Iron Fist in the MCU. They should just that, go with that. They should. They should. They don't have they don't, to do anything to fix anything. They don't have nope. to unwhitify the, the character or any of that. They can just go straight to her. Yep. And now, what's the Luke Cage thing? Why wouldn't that be? Because uh, because he's involved in other projects already. That's fair. I say wait for him. Good grief, he was so Maybe. good. Yeah, he was so good. Yeah, but. he all all of them were good. I thought. I even loved Iron Fist, and we can talk about that another time. <laughs> but um, he's one of my. He's my like second favorite character in the MCU. Um, but, yeah, uh, uh, speak, oh, sorry, John. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Speaking of Young Avengers, and we discussed this on your Facebook, but and Young Avengers and Kristen Ritter coming back, Jessica Jones in the comics actually mentored the Young Avengers. And That's right. I want to see that so bad. I know that her character, her character is in a different place character-wise, but I want to see that. That would be fun. Yeah, like give give it to me. Take my money, Marvel. Yeah. Like, the, the solid gold of some of those scenes that that is indeed possible. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. take take any female character doing something and having her just kind of like, oh, okay, honey, come here, come here. <laughs> having these heart to hearts about reality. <laughs> and with who we have playing Kate Bishop, I can picture them playing. Oh yeah. The actresses playing well off of each other. Well, it's it's an interesting uh, theory. It looks like they're setting up the Young Avengers, but at the same time, there's a whole new storyline with the adult Avengers, uh, with the new Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier, uh, Monica Rambo, Wanda, and New Vision. I mean, right there is a hell of a team. I kind of figure they're just Avengers. I don't know that they're going to young anything. I think I think you're going to have just Avengers, maybe, and, and they cycle. You know, there's new t- new blood cycling in. Um, you know, just like Dark Avengers or whatever would be kind of corny. Mar- Marvel tends to cut the corny part unless they're in a movie that's got a comic, colorful spin. Uh, you know, like Guardians. Um, so that's why I think Thunderbolts is such a safe bet because. Thunderbolts works better for what they're doing with the MCU than Dark Avengers. You know. So I think just the Avengers works for this whole landscape, probably. Or maybe the West Coast thing. Maybe, because you can oh. split up into a couple of operating groups. Well, and in the comics, Kate Bishop leads the West Coast Avengers today. Yeah. I picked up that trade a few weeks ago, by the way. And so that's going to be reviewed in a future episode. Spoilers. <laughs> Back issue Breakfast Club. <laughs> I really enjoyed that run of the West Coast Avengers. It was completely different from the original West Coast Avengers, but in a good way. And um, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I never would have thought that I would like Gwen Poole until I read her solo series love her and loved her even more as a West Coast Avenger. Um, I can't wait to see your review on that. Thank you. Well, it was your recommendation. So 
So what, up, actually, oh, go ahead. No, no, finish, finish your thought. Oh, um, I took my six-year-old nephew to the comic shop for his very first trip ever. He asked my sister if he could buy a comic, and I was like, oh, can I go with you? <laughs> <laughs> he was like a kid in a candy store. That's sure. awesome. That's fantastic. So there was one other thing that irritated me about this series, and that was in the finale that Bucky Barnes did not take the name White Wolf. Mm. Right. Why not? Why not? I don't understand. I think uh, because I there's know. more story left to tell there. I don't know if they had a vehicle for it. They had a lot to get done. Well, no, I mean, all he has to do is say, I am no longer the Winter Soldier. I am the White Wolf. Hmm. Yeah, he could have said that to his therapist when he talks about, I crossed off all the names, and in a good way, I am no longer the Winter Soldier. I am now the White Wolf. They could have even, that's a really good point, Johnny. That would have been a really artful way to do that. They could have even been more subtle and just had it signed. Right. You know, yeah, because they they flirted with that name. They they trotted it out early in the series. So and I I think all of the fans thought that was a really cool continue. Uh, you know, end of that arc that that he would become the White Wolf. Mm-hmm. But now the rumors are that they're playing with him taking the name Nomad from the comic stories. You know, throughout the years and. I, I just, I don't know. I always thought that was kind of a goofy thing that they did. Captain America became Nomad for a while. Then Bucky Barnes was Nomad after he, I don't know. All the villains are shaking in their boots because Nomad's coming. <laughs> yeah. White Wolf sounds so cool. And it has a direct tie-in to Black Panther 2 where we could, you know, see him continue that story as part of the adopted Wakandan culture. Which I liked his um, tie-ins with the Wakandans. I mean, and maybe there won't be room for him in Black Panther too, but I did really like that he kind of showed how part of his healing journey, or, you know, we got to see a little more of his healing journey in Wakanda. I uh, had a friend, had a friend post a, uh, a meme about uh, Bucky Barnes and uh, Sam's sister, Sarah. And he said, the winter soldier has a type. And um, I was like, yeah, man, I have a type too. It's the Dora Malange. Let me tell you what, those chicks, they're my type. I'm just telling you. Uh Uh-oh, Lucas is frozen up. Or he's become catatonic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's the talk of the Dora Milaje. Yeah. I'll tell you what. uh, Bald black ladies that are badass are my type. (laughs) There you have it. So, So I just revealed something about myself on international television um well it looks like we have lost lucas we have uh, but uh 
we're about finished anyway, Kelly. So final thoughts about Falcon and Winter Soldier. It was absolutely beautifully done. Um, like we discussed, WandaVision was such a tough act to follow. And I, I'm going to be comparing TV shows to WandaVision for, <laughs> for the rest of my life. Like nothing's going to compare. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll eat my words, but nothing's going to compare. But this was a, it held its own. It was so beautifully done. It tackled real world issues in a wonderful way. Welcome back, Lucas. And obviously, I don't know what happened. I just, I just, I just thought Kelly LeBlanc. Kelly LeBrock put a spell on you and you became catatonic. Does anyone I, understand that reference? No. <laughs> I don't, but uh, I know that you guys became ethereal voices from black boxes and then we were all gone. <laughs> so I've uh, temporarily abandoned whatever's going on in the uh, home network and I've uh, tethered to my phone real quick. <laughs> oh. I don't know well, what happened to our, our in-house internet, but... Uh, I'm, I'm going to put this challenge out to people who are watching. Um, if anyone can tell us what that reference to becoming catatonic is from, without Googling, um, I uh, I will gift you um, one of the graphic novels from my collection. Ooh. So post your answers below if you think you know what that was a reference to. Um <laughs> Kelly LeBrock putting a spell on Lucas and making him catatonic. <laughs> I love it. And I can personally attest to the novels, graphic novels from John's collection being fantastic because I received a box of them. But, oh, there's another one I'm putting together for you. I've got a oh. stack this high. I just can't afford to send them to you all at one time. <laughs> that last one was a lot, so... It is not even my birthday, and I'm so excited. So I get to do another unboxing video. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, Lucas, last thoughts about Falcon and Winter Soldier? I uh, I want to go back and binge the whole thing. I I could probably rewatch episode six over and over and over again. Uh I think it's just it's it's very inspiring and important TV right now, uh, but it's also just a huge piece of development that I've been waiting for. You know, it's a payoff. It's a big payoff because he showed up, and I immediately started asking for when he would be Cap, and here we are. <laughs> so I'm thrilled. I'm stoked. I, I love it. I uh, I hope they're not setting their bar too high because boy, it's going to be hard for other stuff to hit the mark that's been set by these first two series. But I, I do think that my best summary is I liked this as well as, but not more than WandaVision, but I like them both equally with massive enthusiasm for completely different reasons. So that's, I would agree with that. And, and um, I think, I think Loki's going to be fine. You got Tom Hiddleston returning and uh, Owen Wilson. Come on. Oh Yeah. Well, and I haven't been able to get back to the Dragon Con Marriott, you know, since the con was was not in person last year. So seeing it in Loki as the set will be just fine <laughs> for, for those that have gone. I recognize that for Dragon Con people, it's a con hotel. And for uh, the uh, uh, 
Hunger Games folks, it's the capital. <laughs> now, now, um, when does Loki come out? Is it in two weeks? I think it's one more week now, maybe. Uh, let's because I know it was going to be a longer break. Yeah, it's a not, longer break. Not super mm. much. June eleventh. I am googling for you all. It looks like June eleventh is the. Uh... Oh, whoa. That's a real long break. Yeah, that's like a month. I wonder why. What else is going on? I'm uh, guessing it's COVID, like the filming schedules. Well, I mean, it's been done for months. I I don't know. You know, I don't don't understand. This grinds my gears a little bit. I don't really understand why during these times, especially in 2020, why studios held on to stuff mm. when we were trapped in our houses? Why did they make us wait? Why did they hold on to stuff? It's a little pet peeve of mine, yeah. but gotcha. you know what, though, we've got lots of back of the cereal box content for you all to catch up on. That's right. We listen this Saturday is going to be the 23rd Saturday morning episode. Wow. Lucas, you were on like the third episode. Yeah. Wow. And Man, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And Kelly will be returning this Saturday, right? With yep. with Willow and uh Dee and Aubrey. And they've got a very special guest. Um, a puzzle maker named Jody Jill, who is a master jigsaw puzzle maker. And she's gonna be joining the show. Um, I will not be there. Except for just a brief moment, when, a I will have a cameo, but you will not recognize me because <laughs> oh, because right. this this beard will be half red and half blue, <laughs> and um, I'll be wearing uh, a different style of clothing than you're used to seeing, Johnny. <laughs> and on my way to Matrotham Con in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Matrotham Con. Yes, because we, you'll be dressed differently because we made a thousand viewers. Thank you, viewers. <laughs> you we yep. love you all. Oh boy, I now, can't wait to see that. Yeah, so uh, I'll make a cameo, and then Saturday I'll be doing a, a no fan left behind from the convention floor, and I'm just going to give you guys a little, a little sneak peek. I am bringing eighty feet of Hot Wheels track, a launcher, and a ramp. And Harley Quinn, oh, is going to host a Hot Wheels race at Metrotham Con. That's cool. That's going to be... Where's the con? I have no idea. It's the convention center in Chattanooga. I mean, I'll find it when I drive up to it. (laughs) I've got the address in my GPS, but... uh, it's in Chattanooga at the convention center. And this is this this Hot Wheels race is not a sanctioned event. <laughs> I'm oh. just gonna do it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna clamp the launcher to a railing somewhere and 40 feet on either side, hitting the ramps, and they they jump into a funnel to determine the winner. That's excellent. And I'm gonna film it all. In glorious HD. I can't wait to see. Now, Lucas, do you think that'll get me kicked out of the con? 
I mean, these days, I don't know if Khan's can afford to kick anybody out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the few cons that are brave enough to actually try to make it happen in person, which is one of the things things that you and I still need to dive into because there have been some inroads there. I think there have been some people that have been doing it. They've been making cons happen on a scale that works. I'm just fascinated by the econ economy of it. I can't imagine having limitations and still paying these uh, high opinion of themselves hotel bills, but perhaps some of them are playing ball. Um, so I don't think you'd be kicked out for something that's good and fun. I mean, you know, it's it's going to be better PR than a ball pit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and with that, um, I'm just going to uh, give my final uh, opinion of Captain American Winter Soldier. It was everything that I hoped it would be uh, to see Sam's journey to, you know, overcome his own imposter syndrome his own hangups with, uh, you know, societal issues and to embrace the gift that he was given by Steve Rogers to become Captain America. And um, man, I just, I love it. I love it. And Lucas, I loved it so much that I did something that I've never done ever before because that Marvel legends set it's the, the it's the MC it's the uh, Disney Plus MCU Marvel Legends collection. Mm -hmm. The only way to get the Falcon, the, Captain America's wings, is to buy all of them in the set. Oh, yes. So well. you have to collect them all and build <laughs> the the wings. Um, oh, so, they come with. Okay, now it all makes yeah, it's sense. Yeah, it's a build a figure thing. Oh, jeez. Okay. So <laughs> I did something I've never ever ever done because I want that so bad. I went ahead and I pre-ordered pre the no. entire set. Look at you. Yep. I, I pre-ordered the pop of uh, of uh, business suit vision, black and white. And I don't know if it's going to get here before we move to a whole different state. Like I've got poor little lonely black and white Wanda downstairs standing on the top of a spot on a shelf with this empty space waiting for her vision. It's almost its own little sad romantic story, but they can't even <laughs> give me a date for when they're going to have it in hand to ship to me. So I have no idea. They are in communication, so I'll be able to change addresses, but I'm so tired of waiting for it. So good luck to you. I hope you see that set this year. You may not see it until 2022. <laughs> I feel like the lonely Wanda is waiting for her vision kind of parallels the MCU. Yeah, it, it does. It really does. Well, epic, guys. Thank you so much for being on. Thank and you. for those of you who watched and commented, thank you. If uh, you like what we did here tonight, um, make sure you tell two, 300 of your closest friends and family. Uh, we have exclusive content on YouTube, Instagram, here on Facebook, and on audio, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Go love, like, and subscribe to all of it. And um, until the next time, we love you, mean it. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.
All right, friends and foes, that's going to do it for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you enjoyed the review and that I was able to help you find your new favorite movie. Do us a favor. Drop us a comment and let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like me to review in the future. You can do that at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or do it the old-fashioned way and send us an email at serialboxpodcast at gmail.com and while you're at it don't forget to check out our youtube channel and all of the great content there and if you like what we do please support us by liking commenting subscribing and sharing with two or three hundred of your closest friends and family you can also become a supporter at patreon.com slash Serial Box Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and until the next time, love you, mean it. We'll catch you on the flip side. Hey.